We're in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. Surviving pesky trials. Anybody ever have a pesky trial? You bet. That's what life's all about. If you would, stand. A reading of God's Word. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, and lack nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearances perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Now, as you know, James is uh, the half-brother of Jesus. He's writing to, to the Jewish believers that are in persecution, that have been dispersed throughout the world. The theme of James is this. Genuine faith produces genuine works, the theme. James, again, is writing to believers who are in the diaspora, dispersion. They're being persecuted. They're being encouraged to persevere regardless of the persecution that they're going through. Remember, Nero was persecuting the Christians. And these people are experiencing Nero persecution, Herod persecution. And their lives are in danger. Remember, all the Neros in the world are on Satan's side who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The roaring lion, remember we talked about 1 Peter 5.8 in our review of last week. 1 Peter 5.8, Satan comes as a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And you know who he tries to devour? He tries to devour the young ones. He tries to devour the isolated ones. He tries to devour the immature ones. That's who he tries to devour, the weak ones. Now how do we deal with the Neros when they attack us, the Neros of our day? First of all, remember that we realize that the Lord Jesus Christ is on our side. That's number one. Now, our job with the Holy Spirit power is this. In 1 Peter 5, 9, in 5, 8, it says, Satan is a roaring lion, seeing whom he may devour. But in 5, 9, it says this, resist him. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, strong and stable in the faith. Stand in your faith. This is how you survive. Resist him in the faith. Now, when the lion attacks, you must know some things. You must know some things for, for sure. Know some truths, the following truths. Truth, I belong to Jesus. He has no authority and no power over me. Truth, Christ is my protector. Truth, Christ will give me the strength, will give me the metal to stand. He will do that for me. And Christ has given us the armor of God that we're able to stand against the wiles of the devil. If you remember in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, we have that armor listed. And he says four times for us to stand. Four times for us to stand. After you have done everything, put on the whole armor of God that you may stand against the wiles of the devil. In verse 13, that you take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And he says, in, it's, it's assumed that there's an evil day coming. There's assumed that there's a roaring lion that will be coming into your life. It's assumed that. And having done all to stand, and finally in verse 14 he says, stand, putting on your armor. 
loins girded with the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation. You put on your whole armor, the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. And then your job is this. Pray. This is Paul saying, pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, that we may be delivered from the Neros of this world. Pray that you will be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith, but this, and this is God's job. You have a job, put on your armor, stand fast. God's job is this. The Lord is faithful that he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. You must know that. You stand armored up. God is with you. He is your protector. James is writing from Jerusalem to those Jewish Christians who are running for their lives, literally running for their lives, and he's trying to encourage them how to make it through the trials that they are experiencing. Now, with that review, this week we're going to be talking about surviving pesky trials. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful today for your word. We are grateful that you have given us the tools to help us to make it through whatever this life gives us. We thank you that you've given us your spirit to strengthen us, that the Holy Spirit is truly the rod of iron up our spine that allows us to stand, that we can endure to the end because you give us the power to do so. I pray now that you'll speak to us today on how to survive pesky trials. Thank you, Lord. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So, surviving pesky trials, you need to know the following. Number one, trials are inevitable. You realize that. You live here. <laughs> it's not, I'm not here, I, I, I can't see. I, no, we live on earth, there's trials. So verse two, my brethren, talking to the believers, count it all joy. Now, don't you just love that? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Interesting, James is saying you fall into various trials, not I fall into various trials. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. First of all, what is a trial? What is a trial? Well, a trial is anything that breaks the peace, the comfort, or joy in your life. You ever have those things break in? You bet you have. You bet you have. Remember, God's trial, when God tries you, it is for the believer to discover or to demonstrate the, the validity of their faith. Remember, God knows the beginning from the end. He knows how you're going to make it through the trial. The trial is for you to discover your strength, your faith in God, and how he helps you make it through. It's not for him if something be revealed to him. And it's also to help other people see that God is real in your life, that you're surviving this trial, and it's a great witness to God. But also, Satan, Satan's trials are quite different. His temptations are different. They're always designed for your demise. And they're always taking you into the land of sin. Always to draw you away from God. That's how you tell the difference. God tries you to make you stronger, to increase your faith. Satan is always to discourage you, to take you away from God, to diminish your faith. God's trials are for your good and for your growth. For others to know, for you to know and others to know that you will stand. James is speaking the truth. His head is not in the sand. He's not pretending that this isn't happening. I'm not here. You know, there's a lot of people that say, you know, don't speak into this. 
you know, you got, you got a sword in your neck and you don't speak into that. You get this major trial. Hey, there's a reality. We live in a world of reality. There are trials that come. We can't walk around with blinders, but there are methods that God has given us to make it through the trials. And the first thing he tells us is to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And notice that he doesn't say, he says count it all joy. He doesn't say consider it joy. Big difference. Big difference because counting it all joy means that there's going to be something beneficial. We'll see that in a couple verses from now. There's some, going to be something beneficial from the trials. We don't go through trials and go, oh, goody. Anybody ever do this one? Oh, goody, it's another trial. I can guarantee when I get a trial, I'm going, oh, no. <laughs> Not, oh, goody, this is another a great trial. No. It, it produces something good in us. Think about this. Since the fall of man, since Adam and Eve in the garden, sin came into the human condition, and trials are here to stay. In one, in one form or another, look at Either you're in a trial, you're coming out of a trial, or you're in that pleasant land of in-between, getting ready to go into another one because they are consistent. It's the way of earth here. Peter puts it this way in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says this. Now, he was, he was dealing with people that are persecuted. Remember, the, the, Peter is writing to Jewish believers that are persecuted also. He says this, Beloved, do not think it strange do not think it novel, do not think it unusual concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing were happening to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. He also is saying fiery trial, exceeding joy because of what it, what it produces. It shows that I am a follower of the Lord Jesus. When I make it through one of these things, and I glorify Him, it is honoring to God. It is honoring to God when we make it through. Now, let's, the question is this. What exactly does James mean by count it all joy? And I've already alluded to it. Because it produces patience, it makes you perfect, complete, lacking nothing. That's the next verse, which we're going to segue into in just a second. So trials come in various shapes and sizes, various sizes. There can be small trials, there can be giant trials, but they, come, they will be coming in various shapes and sizes. The word is polkios, and it, and it means actually like polka dots. Isn't it interesting? Your trials will come like polka dots, polka dots. Various trials can affect your peace in, in your life. Uh, A.T. Robertson says this, it's a picture of being surrounded by trials. It's the normal life here on earth is to live with trials, various trials that, that affect your peace and your comfort and your joy and your well-being. They're always, always coming, and we have to be able to deal with them. Now, trials are, are different at different times in your life. When you were in kindergarten, what was your big trial? The dude took my truck. He took my truck or my rug. I can't find, we used to sleep on rugs, okay? They, did they do that when you were there? Okay. My rug, somebody took my rug. Sally took my rug, something, you know, something like that. Uh, when, you're in grade, when you're in grade school, you don't get picked for the team. When you're in middle school, you're not the cool kid. You're not the cool kid. That's a big trial. But I'll tell you, a big trial. Now, you tell me if this didn't happen to you. Because I think this probably happened to more people than you can think about. Well, you're getting ready for the prom. 
and the night before the prom or the homecoming or whatever big thing there is in high school, some big giant pimple comes right on the tip of your nose. And you have that thing and it's just like, mm, that is a trial at that time, man. You are, you are stressed to the gills. Trials, various shapes, various sizes, always big when we're going through them, but in hindsight, not so big. In hindsight, not so big. Various trials. So we talked about trials, know that they're inevitable. Life is, is full of them in a fallen world. In verse 3 and 4, we're going to see that trials are beneficial. Really, they're beneficial. Let's read about it. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Oh, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Oh, there's a purpose for the trials. Notice what's tested. It's your faith that is tested. Your faith that is tested. Will I trust God through this? Or will I bolt and blame? Will I stick and be strengthened or will I bolt and be blamed? Your attitude, your attitude is important in the trial. Will you grow or will you shrink? It's going to produce in you, hopefully, patience. That word is hupomone. I, I didn't put it on the board because I've used it many, many times. So I'm sure you remember it, you Greek experts. Yes, hupomone. And it means patient with circumstances. We learn, we grow through the circumstances of life, the, the challenges of life. And it's the testing of your faith. That testing is the word dokiminion, D-O-K-I-M-I-O-N. And it comes from the word dokimos, and it means to prove genuine. Oh, your trial is there to prove you're genuine or not. Chuck Swindoll says this, God isn't interested in watching our faith get torpedoed by trials. What he does desire becomes clear when we understand the meaning of the word testing. It comes from the Greek term dokimos, which means approval. It's a word found on the undersides of ancient pieces of pottery unearthed by archaeologists in the Near East. This mark meant that the piece had gone through the furnace without cracking. It had been approved. God's desire is to help the clay vessels created in his image to mature. That's what our goal is here on earth, to mature in the furnace of trials without cracking. Held up to the light. What would happen is, is a potterer would hold, you hold the pottery up to the light and if it was cracked and wax was put in it, you could discern that by holding it up to the light. We're holding our beings up to the, up to the light. We are the pot, God is the potter. We are the clay. We're holding ourselves up to the light. Are we cracked or not? Are we genuine or not? Are we docimos approved or are we a docimos unapproved? That's what it's just talking about here. He's using, are we going to be, and notice that, that, the goal of this whole process is that you become perfect or whole, complete or mature, lacking nothing, and I, I, I suggest to you that means a satisfied life. Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist in a Nazi prison camp in World War II. And he wrote a book, Man's Search for Meaning. And in Man's Search for Meaning, he writes these words, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any 
given set of circumstances or trials. To choose one's own way in the trial. Trials can strip everything away but our attitude toward them. When they put Viktor Frankl in the Nazi prison camp, he had everything stripped from him. His clothes were stripped. His dignity was stripped. His education meant nothing. His position in life meant nothing prior to that. He was stripped naked. But they could take everything but his attitude in that trial. They couldn't strip Victor of his attitude. Count it all joy because the trial is changing me. When, it, when gold is being refined, I think many of you have heard this before, but when gold is being refined, it is put in the furnace, and it is heated, and it is heated, and it is heated, and it is melted, and the dross comes to the top, and then the dross is scraped off. That's what trials do. Take the dross out of us so that we come out pure and clean, pure gold, seeing our reflection in it as pure. That's what the goal of the trial is. Trials benefits. I just wrote down a couple things here. Trials drive away fleshly folly. When you have, when you're in a trial, you are no longer silly in life. I'm not talking you can't enjoy life and that sort of thing, but you're not silly. It's not capricious. It's not whimsical. Trials expose the shallowness of worldly wisdom. In a trial, you're not going to your buddy Sam, who's in the same boat as you are knowing nothing. You want someone with, world, with, with godly wisdom, not worldly wisdom. And then the trials teach us to seek God's wisdom, to spurn the world's ways. And you know, if I seek God's wisdom and I'm spurning the world's ways, what Sam is telling me to do, okay, if I spurn that, that's called maturity. That's called growing. That's called changing. Trials are beneficial. Without trials, we would remain spoiled babies. You look at your life in retrospect. When did you grow? Did you grow on Cupcake Mountain? Did you grow when the cherry was on top of your life and everything is wonderful and you had everything just clicking right along? It never happened to you. Clicking right along? Or did you get it in the valley when things started to fall apart? That's when your life changed. That's when you start to become perfect, complete, lacking nothing. When you're trusting God through it all, no matter what. Surviving pesky trials, folks, what we've learned. Trials are inevitable. Either you're in one, you're coming out of one, or you're going into one. Our trials are beneficial. We learn patience. We're being perfected, completed, to a point where we lack nothing. In verses 5 through 8, trials are an opportunity. Trials are an opportunity for us to access God's wisdom. Now, this section of Scripture is very often misinterpreted. So it's going to be important for you to realize exactly what this is talking about. So verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, any of you, he's speaking to believers here, only believers have access to God's wisdom. You have to be in the family of God to access God's wisdom. Okay? So if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach or without fault, and it will be given to him. Oh, but let him ask in faith. Absolute key, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. 
unsettled by the chaos of life. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Oh, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Look at First thing, remember, you're surrounded by trials. That's the reality of it. And we need God's wisdom in the trial. So first of all, God's wisdom is available in the trial, but you must access it. It isn't like automatic. It isn't automatic. It has to be something that you search for. You ask God for. Remember, you're asking God. You're asking God for this. The word is, wisdom is, is Sophia. Sophia. And it's the ability to see and evaluate from God's point of view. And it is available, but it is not automatic. Zadiades puts it this way. It's the knowledge of how to regulate one's relationship with God. If you run in circles in your trial, if you run in circles, if you collapse in panic, if you project into the future, what do I mean by that? Oh, what if? What if? Oh, what if this happened? Oh, my, what if? Oh, you ever lived there? Ever have that happen? What if, okay? If you do that, there will be no wisdom and there will be no peace for you. No wisdom for you. In any trial, when life surprises you and trouble comes to your house, so you're always looking for trouble and, you're, and you want to help somebody else because it's always coming to somebody's house, but one day it will come to your house. When your peace and your comfort and joy of life has been broken, our first response must not be panic and run around like a lost man in the woods. You know what a lost man in the woods does? He runs around in circles, usually throws their clothes off. For some reason, they take their coat off and they take their hat and throw it away, and they run around in circles. Wrong thing to do. Our first response after the initial shock, because if the trial's a big one, there will be a shock. And you'll be taken back for a moment. But after that initial shock, we are to stop and we are to pray. Stop and to pray. What does he say here? Ask of God who gives to all. That is the first thing that we should do as believers. That's the first thing. Stop and pray. We don't go into what ifs. Verse 5, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally. He is the giving God. He gives to all. Always remember this. God is a giving God. He wants to help you. He wants to give to you. In the trial, ask the giving God for wisdom. And it, what does it say? It will be given to him. It will. Now, who receives godly wisdom? Please zero in on this. Who is going to receive this? Well, the person that is asking, but also this goes back to verses 2 and 3. That person that has been learning through the process of trials. That, that person who is, is gaining, is, is, is becoming patient, perfect, complete in the trial process. It's a promise to any believer who is maturing and becoming those things. Patient, perfect, complete in the trial process. In context, this wisdom is related to trials, not general wisdom. General wisdom to the believer is given to those Number one, what does it say in Proverbs? What is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And that is an awesome respect for God. He's not just a little teeny God or just come along God or put him in my pocket God, but he is, it's an awesome respect for God. And when you start there, you're starting to have access to the wisdom of God in every facet of your life.
every facet of your life. The close relationship with God. When I have an awesome fear of God, I will have an awesome close relationship with my God. Now, how does God, how, oh, excuse me, how does one demonstrate that they have learned, that they have matured through the trial process? Well, verse 6 will tell you. They ask in faith, trusting God, and what is the key thing? Not doubting. Not doubting. Look at Trials break the peace, the comfort, the joy of my life. But I must ask in faith, not doubting. Now, how does this look? It, it is the following. A complete abandonment to God and his purposes in the trial. God always, always, always has a purpose in your trial. Always. And we must abandon ourselves. Say, I don't understand, God. This is not fun. I don't like the trial. But I must abandon myself to his purposes in the trial. The truth is this. Often I do not understand. Often I do not like it. I am troubled. But God, no matter what, I will trust you. No matter what, I will trust you. No doubting. So what does doubting bring? What does it say in the text? It brings about conflicted feelings. That's what doubting brings. Doubt breaks the trust. This is, tell me if this doesn't happen to you. I believe you, Lord. I believe... Oh, I don't believe you. I believe you. Oh, but it's getting worse. I believe you. Now, oh. And you vacillate between trusting God and trusting the situation. Trusting God and looking at the, at the conditions that you're living in. Instead of just trusting God no matter what. It's an emotional roller coaster like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. That is what is happening to my being. That is what is happening to my emotions. I'm tossed around. I am totally at diseased with what is going on. I have no hope. In verse 7 it says this. It says, Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. If you doubt, if you go into this whole process, you want God's wisdom, you must trust him. Even if it's hard, it will be hard. It will be hard, but God has given you the strength. He's given you his spirit, and he's given you the hope that you need to trust him in the most difficult of situations. He has. He's a great God. If you, there will be no hope. There will be no shalom. There will be no God's peace in the storm. And that, that shalom, remember, is you'll be a feeling of completeness, soundness, welfare, peace. There will be no wisdom. There will be no seeing this thing from God's perspective. All I'm doing is seeing but a poor reflection is in a mirror. Remember, now we shall now we shall know in part, then we shall know face to face. Oftentimes we make big decisions about God and what is going on as we see but a poor reflection. We see a cracked mirror. We're trying to put all this stuff together. We can't put it all together here. We will never understand it all as we're looking through the cracked mirror. But when I trust God, I say, I don't care what it looks like here, God. I will trust you. What did Richard Farmer say? I will trust in the Lord until I die. Until I die. You got that right. I will not just rely on my narrow viewpoint. So, why no wisdom? Why no peace? Because you haven't learned from the process. Oh! Oh, I have to learn? You bet you have to learn. I'll tell you, if you turn to Job chapter 1 and just put your finger there for a second because we're going to talk about Job for just a moment. I mean, you can talk about trials. He's the, 
the whole book of Job is right for us. Listen to this. Job chapter 1, verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God, those are angels, both good angels and bad angels, so demons and good angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, oh, he's our adversary, also came among them. So there's a council, there's God's counsel in God, in heaven. The angels have to give an account of what they're doing before God in heaven. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Out of all those angels... I don't know how, there might be tens of thousands of them. And the Lord goes, boom. Satan, where have you been? What have you been doing? Who's in charge? God's in charge. So Satan answered the Lord and said, to, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. What's he doing on the earth? He's prowling about as a roaring lion, seeking a weak one to devour. Okay. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant? How would you like your name stuck in there? <laughs> ah, Job. That there is none like him on the earth. That's a good part of it. That would be a good part of it. But, but the, what's coming is not so hot, okay? And notice what got God's attention about Job. He is blameless, an upright man, one who fears God, one who, Yahweh in the Hebrew, awesome respect for God. And he shuns evil. That's what got God's attention. And also is what got God's protection and provision. Watch the next verse. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him? That hedge is a suk. S-U-K. And it's a thorny, it is a thorny hedge, impregnable hedge around your servant. Just picture that around you. Okay, when you think, oh, the devil's attacking me. Uh -uh. Hedge, I have a souk around me. He cannot get through that. You have a hedge around him, and watch this, and his household. Moms and dads, you will affect your household when your kids are there. Put a hedge around it. And around all that he has on every side, you have blessed the work of his hands. What benefits? And his possessions have increased in the land. Oh, but now Satan says to God, stretch out your hand, touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to his face, and then God gives him permission. Satan can do nothing without permission. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay your hand on the person. So Satan went out. And I can just see him gleefully going out. And then Job experiences all the stuff that he had. He lost his possessions. He lost his family. He lost his dignity. He had sores all over his body. And then Job reaches a point where he has friends coming to him. And one of his friends is called Eliphaz. And in chapter 21 of jo uh, 22 of Job, Eliphaz starts to correct Job. And in chapter 23, Job says these words. And tell me if you haven't been here. Job answers Eliphaz and says, Today my complaint is bitter. My hand is listless because of my groaning. Oh, that I might find him. Job, he is saying, Job is saying to his friend, Oh, that I could find God. I want to find him, and if I could, I could find him, I would say something to him. That's what he's saying in these first few verses. In verse 8 he says, he, he gives the, the, the feeling of his heart during the trial. 
the feeling that happens to each one of us in the trial. Look, I go forward and he's not there because I'm looking for God. I'm trying to access his wisdom. Tell me if you don't feel this from time to time. Backward, I cannot perceive him. Verse 9, when he works on the left, I cannot find, behold him. When he turns to the right, I cannot see him. And then Job comes to his senses. He comes to his senses, but he knows the way I take. My God is with me. He knows the way I take. Job comes to his senses. And when he has tested me, when he has examined me, when he has examined the quality of my faith, when it's determined where I, whether I am a fair-weather believer or an all-weather believer, in the storm-weather believer, in the blizzard-weather believer, in all the inclement-weather believer, or just the fair-weather when things are going great and wonderful. Hallelujah! Love you, God. But when it gets rough, I kind of abandon. Oh, no. Job says, no. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. All the dross has been taken out. The reflection is pure that you can see in the gold. And then he says in verse 13, but he is unique and who can make him change? God is sovereign. Whatever his soul desires, that he does, for he performs what is appointed for me. How do you like that? And many such things are with him, and I like the NIV, or many such things he has in store. If I do not learn through this process, many such things are in store. Guess what? You get to retake the test. Isn't that thrilling? Yes, retake the test. But you know what? Job reaches a point in his life where he realizes God is in charge. And it doesn't matter what trial comes. This man has lost everything. And God speaks to him in chapters 38 through 41. Where were you when I set the limits to the, to the sea? Where were you when I put the plumb line on the earth? Where were you when I put the stars in the sky, when I made the behemoth, when I did all the things that God did? And Job comes to his senses. In chapter 42, he answers the Lord and says, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be held, withheld from you. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. My God is an awesome God. And I might not be able to see him in the, at the very beginning and the shock of the trial. When I turn to the east and I turn to the west and I turn to the front and I turn to the back and I'm going, God, where are you? He is right there. Where was he with, with the disciples on the Sea of Galilee when the, when the boat was ready to capsize? He was right in the boat, right with them. Our God is with us, and we must believe this. We must not doubt. Back to James chapter 8. We must learn for the process. Doubters, verse 8, doubters. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. That is what a doubter is. Doubters are double-minded. That means twice-souled, double-souled. Remember, we talked about the soul as your thoughts, feelings, emotions. They can be good, they can be bad. It depends whether the spirit controls them or not. We vacillate, go back and forth like a storm-tossed wave between my mind being spirit-controlled or, or my mind being flesh or being very solely. It's unstable. It's unsettled. And, and notice what it says. It's unstable in all its ways. It's not just in the trial. If you're not going to trust God in the trial, then all of your ways will be affected. Your whole life will be affected. 
in the trial, not in the trial, going out of the trial, whatever it is. All of it will be affected, all his ways. Not trusting God in the trial affects all your ways, not simply the trial. The entire life is one of being unsettled. You see people that are unsettled because they've had trials. They haven't navigated through this with the wisdom of God. They haven't trusted God. So the majority of their life, they're steady. the whole thing is unsettled. Everything disturbs them. Big things, little things. How do I know this? Yes. You know me. Unsettled. A person that is double-minded has put himself into a position of not receiving anything from the Lord. No peace, no wisdom, only this. Why me and why now? That's what comes out of us. That's what comes out of me. Why me, why now? And when you are doing that, guess what? More schooling for you. Because many such things I have in store for you. Remember, God's desire for you is to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. To trust Him through every single thing that you go through. There's going to be mess in life. That's the truth of it. But God is with us. Even when we can't sense it, He's in the boat with us. He is there right there with us. God's purpose in the trial is maturing. That we become complete, lacking nothing. I trust you, God, no matter what. Our entire Christian existence is based on being conformed to the likeness of Christ. Now just to review, surviving pesky trials. Trials are inevitable. Trials are beneficial. Really, they're beneficial. And trials are an opportunity to access God's wisdom. Seeing life from God's point of view. God, I don't understand, but I trust you. No matter what. Finally, verses 9 through 12. Trials are common for all people. All people. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. Does that not remind you of getting old? Entropy. Everything wears down. You can powder it up. You can plastic surgery it up. You can do whatever you want. Entropy is real. Isn't it amazing how this culture extols youth and condemns age? It's the reverse in most places of the world where the aged are honored and the youth are learning from the aged. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. No one is exempt, rich or poor, king or pauper, Christian or non-Christian, everyone will have trials. For the poor, the trials might be these. I just wrote a few things here. How to make ends meet. That's a trial. Now allowing your circumstances to dull you, numb you, or destroy your spirit and joy. And not become bitter because of the way, what life has dealt you. Not to feel inferior and angry. That's a trial. That's a trial. For the rich, the trial is not worshiping your status and your money and your stuff. That's a trial. It's a trial of holding loosely. Guess what? It's not mine. It's not mine. 
What did Corey Ten Boom say? Hold loosely, because it hurts when God pries your hands open. Just loosely. Let it go. There's a trial of living in fear of losing whatever you have. Proverbs 23, five, 23 verse 5 says this. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Don't put your trust in riches. They can be gone. As Dr. Washington said, life can change in a moment. Remember, rich or poor, we are simply stewards, caretakers of what God has given us. For this little brief time called your life, you know, we think we own our house, we own our car, we own, we have a bank account, we have security. I'll tell you, the market's up right now. Feel real good, don't you? Everybody feels, ooh, I'm about to feel good. Yeah, wait till it goes, that'll be a trial. That'll be one of these neat trials for some of us. Yeah. Remember, you're a steward. God owns it all. Rich or poor, we're simply caretakers for this short period of time. And guess what? How much do you take with you? Nothing. Nothing. You take nothing from this world with you. Life is short. To be fixated on this world stuff is simply not Sophia. Wise. Not wise viewing life through our lens. But it is wise viewing life through God's lens. Verse 11, let me just say it one more time. For, for no sooner has the sun risen. It's like no sooner have we been given life. No sooner have we had the, had the zenith of life with a burn, and, and it risen with a burning heat. Then it withers, going down. The grass and the flower falls, and its beautiful appearance vanishes. So the rich man also will fade away with his pursuit. William Barclay says this. James' point is this. If life is so uncertain and man so vulnerable, calamity and disaster may come at any moment. Since this is so, a man is a fool to put all his trust in things like wealth, which he may lose at any moment. He is only wise if he puts his trust in things which he cannot lose. Jim Elliott was a missionary to Quito, Ecuador. He died on January 8, 1956. Handsome man. I mean, this guy gave his life. At the prime of life, doing God's work, he and his friends were speared to death by the natives of that, of that land. Okay? It was awful and it was terrible, but you know what happened? His wife and the wives of the other guys went back and these people that killed him became believers. He made this saying, which I think is, is great. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool. Trials are inevitable. They come in various shapes and sizes. Trials break the peace, comfort, and joy of your life. Our response to the trial is exceedingly important. Count it all joy because we know that it's producing good things in us. Trials are beneficial. Will you be proven genuine docimos, no cracks, no wax, or will you be a docimos, unapproved? Trials are designed to make you complete, mature, lacking nothing. Trials are an opportunity to access God's wisdom. It is there. The first step in a trial after the panic of the moment 
because some of them are, are huge. It's, it, it'll, it'll, it'll rock your world. Stop and pray and ask the giving God, the giving God for wisdom, seeing things from his perspective, and very, very important, do not doubt. Doubt produces storm-tossed thinking. Doubt produces constant uneasiness in my being. No double-souled thinking. No vacillating between I believe and I don't believe. I will trust in the Lord no matter what. And trials are common for all people, rich or poor, kings or paupers. No one is exempt. Each group will have its trial. Everything on earth will one day fade away, according to verse 11. One day fade away. C.T. Studd lived from 1860 to 1931. He was a British missionary, joined Hudson Taylor in China. He went from there to India to Africa. He died of untreated gallstones. Now, are you not glad you live now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he wrote this. This, exert, these are, this is excerpted from a, from a larger poem. I'll just give you two stanzas. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You take nothing of this world with you. What did they do, what did they do in, in Egypt? Trying to take it all with them, put them in the pyramids, and it's still there. <laughs> Didn't go with them. Last stands, only one life, yes, only one. This is it. This is our shot. We're all amateurs at this. We're going through it one time. We have to get it right on the first time. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Folks, you will be able to survive and thrive through pesky trials. When you navigate through the trials with God's wisdom and realize this is all temporary and this too shall pass. And one day this will all be over and we'll all be home. We'll all be home. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only what's done. Everything for man will pass. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says this, the grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. This word that is telling us the truth stands forever. I will trust in the Lord until I die. That is how we survive pesky trials. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for this section of Scripture. came at this time, and we are going through so many trials within our own church. Lord, each one of our lives are familiar with this. We know what it's like to feel doubting. We know what it's like to reel from the trials. We know what it's like to look to the right and to the left and the back and the front and say, where are you, God, in this? And then we come to our senses and we stop and we say, you are in the boat with us. You are right here. And your will will be done in my life. And I want nothing more than that. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, I pray for anybody right now that is feeling the stress and the strain of the trials, and they're in one right now, that you would give them the comfort in knowing that you are with them. And that you will give them the wisdom that you have promised to those who are that needed at that moment. 
And for those that are outside the trial, help them to enjoy the peace of God that passes all understanding, whether in or out of the trial. That no matter what, you are with us. You are with us through it all, beginning to end. And we take comfort in that. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your loving kindness. And thank you for the hope that we have. With our God, all things are possible. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.